Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. But uh, open up your Bible. Who has your Bible today? Lift it up in the air like you just don't care. Leave it up in the air. If it's on your phone, lift up your phone too. That's fine. Get, you know, there's a Bible app that you can have on your phone. Uh, and it's, it's fantastic. I use it all the time. Uh, I do like my physical Bible, but I do love the, the Bible app too. It's important to read your Bible. You're asking God to speak to you. He's not going to speak to you if you haven't read what he's already said. But just right now, just hold your Bible right here, just like this, and say, this is my Bible. Say, speak to me, Bible. And now open it up to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I opened it up right to it because I had it saved. because I plan to, to preach out of that, that scripture. Uh, a little bit of context of what we're reading today is, is called the road to Emmaus. A road to Emmaus. And I want to say that everyone's on a road. Where's your road? Where are you at in your journey with God? Can I tell you that everyone's on different parts in the road. The end result is the same. The end result is that we do give fully ourselves everything and nothing is off limits to God. But everyone's on a journey. Everyone's on a road. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, from Luke chapter 24, Verse 13 starts like this. It says, now that same day, what same day? Well, this is right after the resurrection. This is the same day of the resurrection. So if there's anything that can point to, to how Jesus behaves and how Jesus acts, what he does day one, he's trying to lay as a, an example, a statement of who he is as a person. And so that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing them. I, I would underline that. They were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, say Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people, the chief priests and all, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. It's going to be a powerful word this morning. Hey, before we jump into prayer, turn to your neighbor and say these words. Say these words. Say, everyone is on a road. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, but these people are on a boulevard of broken dreams. That's what we're going to be preaching about today, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Hey, let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is true. I pray that you would speak through your servant today, God, that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see you for who you really are. God, I pray that as the sower plants, it does not return void. So shall the word that come forth out of my mouth today. It will not return to you void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your presence in this place, God. I pray that you would speak to us, transform our hearts as your word is good for edifying fine. Your good is word is good for rebuking God, and I pray that you would speak to us today. Just right now, church, just open up your hands. Just, just, just open up your hands and say these words. Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Come on, put your hands together for God this morning. 
Amen. I had the opportunity of speaking to our interns this week. We have a fantastic internship program here at My City Church. If you're, uh, it's a year-long internship. It's on Tuesdays. Uh, you learn from great theologians, great scholars that are through our C3 organization. We're part of the C3 movement that is worldwide, and the interns have a great opportunity to learn uh, from very, very wise and known people throughout the world. And it's a fantastic program every Tuesday, and we're actually, enrollment is happening right now. So if you're wondering, like, hey, what, what is, I feel like God is wanting to stir something in my life. He's wanting me to take another step out of what it means to follow him. I'm not saying you have to do the internship in order to follow him, but sometimes it's just another level of sacrifice that you take that God actually fills you. And uh, I know I grew a whole lot through my internship uh, that I did over tw- uh, 10 years ago, something about that, about 10 years ago. Um, I grew a whole lot through that, and it's primarily the relationships that I built and the mentorship that I had that grew me. Sometimes you just got to surround yourself with people. And you can do that through the internship. Enrollment is happening right now, but I had the chance to talk to them on Tuesday, and I'm asked, I asked them this question. I said, what is the most important thing for a Christian to have in one word? In one word. And so they went back and forth. There were several different answers to different, different, different philosophies, different thought processes. A lot of them said faith. A lot of them said wisdom. Uh, some of them said humility, boldness, confidence, courage. What is the most important thing for a Christian to have? What actually was interesting to me were the various responses that I had from very spirit-filled people. And what it occurred to me in my head was that everyone's on a different road of what is most important right now. And what I say is that God is working something in your life, and he's asking something from you or to learn something about or to grow deeper in. And so everyone is on a different road. So how are you being faithful to what God has asked you to do? So if, it's, if God's asking you for it, asking it from you, it's for a reason. Whether it be a certain type of thought process, whether it be a certain type of thing that you do, uh, whether it be a certain type of action, whether it be a certain type of lifestyle, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is asking you of something, all I ask is that you just be obedient to that. Honestly, like I can't go to every single one of your houses and say, hey, this is the will of the Lord. This is what you should do, and you should be on this. I can give suggestions. I can say, hey, here's a group. Hey, I really feel like you should be on a team. Hey, I really feel like you should be reading your Bible more. Hey, you really need to pull someone in your life more. But ultimately, if you do that just because I say what happens when I'm gone, so it was the basis and the foundation of your life based off of someone that's telling you to do something or is it based off the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Is it based off of what God is asking you to do? And I say, this is how you do it. You always ask God, what would you like me to do? God, what do you feel like I need to grow in? God, how are you, what are you stirring in my life? And the Holy Spirit keeps reminding you. And sometimes he does it through people. So you keep pounding me about group, Pastor Eli. Why do you keep asking me about this? It's like, well, I feel like this is a great step for you in your discipleship journey. I'm seeing some things that I could, I feel like it could, it could help work out some things in your life. I feel like there's relationships that are, I feel like this would be a great opportunity for you. But ultimately, I want to ask you, and I need to get better at this, to say, hey, what do you feel like the Holy Spirit is asking you to do? Holy Spirit is very consistent. God is very consistent in asking you what to do. And what I found is that everyone is on this road of this journey of knowing God, this journey of, of, of what it's like to walk with Jesus, what it's like to do everything that Jesus asks. Now, the end result is the same. The end result is the same, that at the end of the days, I laid down my life and Jesus lives through me, that I pick up my cross daily and I follow him, that I die to myself. Eli died a long time ago. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But what we do as a natural tendency of people is that we give part of our lives to God, but we leave part of it and we guard it. 
And we say, God, you don't have access to that. Yes, God, I worship you, I wanna follow you, I wanna serve you, but not this. And that this right here can, can be something that's not just necessarily sin. Now, it can be sin. Now, I want to follow you, God, but I like sleeping with my boyfriend, or I like sleeping with my girlfriend. I want to follow you, God, you know, but I kind of like this, the, these shows that I watch. You know, I want to follow you, God, but I kind of like being able to you know, just get a little freedom, and I, I like to be able to, to, to get a little, little drunk on the weekends. I like to you know, get a little high on the weekends, or I like to get a little high on the workday. You know, I love you, God. I give it all to you, but I, I kind of protect this. Now, I want to let you know that ultimately, God is trying to get a result where we give him all of us. He's trying to get a result where we give him all this. If you are guarding something, if you are protecting something, are you giving it all to God? If God is asking you for something, he's asking you for a reason, and maybe it's because you're actually in bondage of the thing that you're protecting. Everyone's on a journey. What I want you to know is that Jesus is with you on that journey. He is walking with you on that journey. God isn't, isn't up in heaven just waiting for a specific result from you. It says this in verse 15. I know Jesus is with you because it says in this verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Can I tell you, in your hardship, in your depression, in your difficulties, in your trials, anything that you ever face, Jesus is walking along with you in the journey. He never left you. But here's the thing is that you can be kept from recognizing him. What helps you recognize Jesus? Sometimes we feel, God, where are you? Where have you been? You've, been, you've left me. Has he? Or you just don't recognize him? Now, are you, maybe you're shielding something, maybe you're protecting something that God's trying to work out you, and because you can't recognize it, because you're looking at the thing that you're shielding from God, and you can't ever see that God is just trying to you to put your eyes on him, and that that thing is no longer relevant in your life, because God's trying to set you free from it. This is a good teaching. <laughs> but we feel like this is, this is natural for Jesus to walk up to someone that is, the Bible says that they were downcast. It's not very natural. When was the last time you walked up to someone that you said you could tell was evidently hurting? When was the last time you walked up to someone that you saw on the side of the road that was walking in the rain? When was the last time you rolled down your window and asked, hey, do you need a ride? When was the last time you went out of your way of what was comfortable to do something that was uncomfortable but would potentially be an opportunity? Maybe the reason why we don't see a lot of opportunity and miracles and breakthrough because we're not willing to step past the uncomfortable to the miracle on the other side. Maybe the very reason why you never see the breakthrough is because the moment resistance happens, you take a step back thinking that's not the will of God. Maybe the thing that God is calling you to is to do something that's not just trouble, but on the other side of trouble is opportunity. So let's play a little game. You guys wanna play a little game? Who likes to play games in here? I don't. <laughs> Ask my wife. I don't like to play games. I don't like to play board games. Um, it's, just, I just, it's just me. She loves to play board games. Well, how do you make it work? Well, hey, is that a trouble or an opportunity? So let's play a game. I want to ask you this. You're walking and you see someone crying. What do you do? Is that trouble or opportunity? Is that something you avoid or something you embrace? Let me ask you this. Your parents are getting old and you have to take them into your home to take care of them. Is that trouble or is that an opportunity? 
<laughs> your hours have been cut back at work so that you have to look for a new job. Is that trouble or is that an opportunity? I love this response. I asked a, a gentleman at our men's prayer. How many men we have at men's prayer this Thursday? It was fantastic. It was amazing. Every group week, men's prayer, 6.30 in the morning, conquer your bed, seek God in prayer. We, we, we stand in the gap on behalf of this church, this city, on behalf of each other, and we try to, we press in to see what God is doing in this, in this city and the people around us. So if you haven't been to men's prayer, men and women's prayer, 6.30, men's at, on Thursdays at 6.30, women's prayer on Fridays at 6.30, during group week, so it'll actually be two weeks from now. It won't be next week, but it'll be two weeks from now because uh, we have an off week uh, for that. But make sure, conquer your bed, be in men's prayer. But I had the opportunity, I talked to a man and I said, hey man, he had a, this foot disorder. And I asked him, I said, that had to be a really inconvenience. And he said these words, he said, actually it was a great opportunity because God taught me to slow down. He taught me to slow it, and I was like, man, that really, that really speaks to me, that something that could be considered an enailment to someone else is an opportunity to someone. Your kids start talking back to you. Is that a trouble or an opportunity? You're having a tough time within your marriage. You're disagreeing. You're fighting. You're arguing all the time. Is that trouble or is that an opportunity? Our last Sunday here at Westside Middle School is July 25th. Is that a trouble or an opportunity? How do you look at it? Which way do you look at it? Maybe God's trying to position us in a different area. Or maybe what the devil's coming against this church, God is like, ah, I got you because I'm actually moving them to a different place where I can bring revival in this city because I'm going to use a people that maybe have gone complacent in an area that they've grown comfortable in. Is it a trouble or an opportunity? Can I tell you, your troubles can be opportunities if you let them be. I think it's your perspective. Now, I'm not thinking of a new age opportunity where we think, oh, I just got to think the right things and then, I'll, uh, then the good stuff will happen to me. No, I'm saying you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You fix your eyes on the one who will carry you through it. It's not just about thinking good thoughts. It's about thinking about God. It's about thinking, hey, this is who my God is and knowing who God is. Second Corinthians 1 says this. It says, praise be to the God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all Comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Can I tell you that the very trouble you are facing, God is wanting to use to bless others with. God is wanting to use the difficulty that you go through to help other people through difficulty. Now I'm saying as a church, you don't ever, it's not just about focusing your eyes on good things. But understand that wherever you have lack, God has providence. Wherever you lack, God is in the midst and he's a provider. Let me ask you these, bring some examples to you. It says, if you have lack, understand, or financially, whatever it may be, God is his name, is Jehovah Jireh, he's your provider. If you feel alone, God is an ever-present help in time of need. If you are struck down, you will not be destroyed. If you are sick, Jesus is your healer. If you are in bondage, he sets the captive free. Amen. If you feel inadequate, he is sufficient. If you feel unseen, good, because it's not about you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you feel weak, he is strong. If you're in the storm, he is the rock on which you stand, a strong foundation. If you feel restless and unsure, he is your peace, Jehovah Shalom. If you feel dirty or sinful, repent and he sanctifies you. 
If you feel empty, he fills you until your cup overflows. If you feel broken, he has the pieces and knows how to put you back together. If you feel like you miss God, it is okay because he didn't miss you. If you walked away from God on your way to Emmaus, it's okay because he's walking alongside you. If you walked away from God on your way to your, 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 your comfortable, what you know, what you're comfortable with, and this brings me comfort, what I'm protecting brings me comfort. I'm going away from the things and the message and the purpose of God to bring me comfort. It's okay, because Jesus is walking with you. Because his name is I am. And I know this because when God first introduces himself to Moses, Moses says the words, whom should I tell the people that has sent me? Who should I say? Should I, what God should I say is sending me to set the people free? And he says these words. He says, I am that I am. I am. I am your ever-present help in time of need. I am your provider. God is what you need him to be because where you are lack and deficient in, he is sufficient and he has providence in. His name is I am. I think it's I am also because it can be a lot of different things, honestly. Understand that when you say, I am not, God says back to you, I am. God says back to you, I am. When you say, I am not smart enough, God says, I am. When you say you are not a good parent, God says, I am. When you say you are not a good husband or wife, God says, it's okay, I am. When you say you are not a good provider and you can't get it together, God says, I am. When you say you are not good enough to get to heaven, God says, good, I am. When you are not righteous, God says, I am. But there's one area that God will not be I am to you when you say that you are not. And that is when you say these words, I am not a sinner. When you say I am not a sinner, God will not be your I am for that. Because he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you come before God and you say, God, I don't have it all figured out. God, I can't get this all figured out. Though without a, man, a righteous man falls, many times he gets back up again. Everyone's on a different road in their journey. Everyone's on it. The end result is the same, that we lay down our lives, that we pick up our, our cross and we follow him. But everyone's on a different point in that journey. My, God's expectation of me is different than God's expectation of you on the road in the area that you are at right now. But the end result is the same. The end result is the same. And how we get there is little steps of obedience. We think that I just need to keep sacrificing, sacrificing, sacrificing. God says he doesn't want sacrificing. He's not about sacrifice, he's about obedience. It's about obedience to the Holy Spirit and what God is asking you to do. So there's one area in your life that God will not be, I am to you if you say I am not a sinner. But when you say, then you realize that you do not have it figured out, and you say these words to God, you say that, God, I am a sinner. God says back to you, it's okay, child. I am. I am. I am. What does that mean? Before you jump to conclusions, you're like, God, Gila, are you calling God a sinner or anything of that sort? Actually, kind of. If you read 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can I tell you that to live righteously, your righteousness is as good as filthy rags. And do you know what filthy rags actually the interpretation in the Bible is? I don't really want to share it with you because it's kind of disgusting. But it's absolutely pitiful. It's disgusting. That's exactly what it is. 
that our righteousness, everything that I could do to please God is as good as filthy rags to him. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. God came down to us and said, I'm going to lay down my son for you to set you free. And what we do is we inherit what God has given to us and we say, thank you, God. I'm going to protect my stuff. God gives all that he has to us. Are you serving God just for salvation? Are you serving God just for heaven? Or does he have right to have all of your life? It's a natural response, though. We serve God out of fear of damnation. We serve God out of fear of hell. But do you serve God out of love for what he's done for you? And the response for what he's done for you? We'll go into this a little bit further. But understand today that if you claim, 1 John 1 uh, 8 says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Everyone here is on a road, a boulevard, if you will, on their journey with Christ. <laughs> Some people, I was going to try to sing, but uh, Reeve asked, he's like, do I need to learn a song? And I go, no, but be prepared for anything. <laughs> You never know, I might break out into something. Um, but everyone's on a road. Verse 17 says this. It says, he asked them, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. They were beat up inside. Which is important to know that they were beat up inside and Jesus still walked with them. Can I tell you that they were walking together because it's important that when your spirit is defeated that you don't walk alone. When your spirit is defeated, you don't isolate when you feel like you can't handle it all, you don't just say, I'm just going to figure this out on my own. You're not going to walk a lonely road because your shadow will be the only thing that's right beside you. <laughs> it's important not to walk alone. And Jesus will show up when you decide that I'm not going to try to get through this alone. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus, sometimes he will show up in the midst of your aloneness, but... It's much better to walk this journey with someone else because Matthew 18, 20 says this, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And that's evident right here, two or three, there's two people walking and there he is right there in the midst of them. John 4, 18 says this, that I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I will come to you in your distress, I will come to you in your despair, I will walk with you. Because Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is walking with you. He is. Do you recognize him? Do you see him in the middle of it? Well, let's continue on with the story. Luke 24, 19 says this, one of them named Cleopas, which by the way, that name is available for any pregnant women in here or people that are choosing to have children. Uh, that name is available. And uh, I don't think I've heard that name once in my entire life, so you don't got to worry about someone taking it. Maybe if you feel like someone, you, I don't trust someone saying this name because they're pregnant too, and I feel like she might take my name that I pick, just kind of, you know, joke to them and say, I'm going to name him Cleopas. <laughs> and just see what happens. <laughs> Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. 
about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Remember that. Before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. What did they crucify him on? A tree. They lifted him up, and they crucified him. But he had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. They're literally on a boulevard of broken dreams. Their hopes are dashed and destroyed. Verse 22 says this. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find a body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of the companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they were just told that Jesus was alive by very credible sources, that they had seen a vision of angels saying that he was alive. Now, what we have right here is Jesus is walking with them, and they, they figuratively vomited all of their stuff on him. They basically just gave him all. This is what I'm going through, Jesus, and he still walks with them. Can I tell you, it can be a great position to be in when you decide to give God an honest response, to give God an honest conversation, But how we approach our prayer life is we just say things that we feel like God wants us to say. When was the last time you were honest with God? When you're praying, when you're asking, God, this is just frustrating. God, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm going to be honest with you. As your interim lead pastor right now, I had one of those moments about two weeks ago in regards to to the building and where we're going. I go, God! You said that you will build your church. (laughs) God, I'm knocking on doors and no one's opening them. Do I have favor with you or not? And God rebuked me, honestly. He said, and he actually did it through my wife. (laughs) It'd be like that. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Because my wife asked me the question. She said, well, have you... Ask the people to start fasting and praying? I don't need to. <laughs> and God says, yep, that's what I want you to do. Start asking the people to fast and pray. So initially I was thinking like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna um, just have the, the leaders of the church, directors and above know. And I felt like God say, it's like, is the church the church or not? And so he told me, he said, I, commu- I sent a message out to every single team member through our communication team channel called Slack just saying, hey, I ask that you just be obedient to the Holy Spirit. If he asks you to fast something, you fast it. He asks you to give something, you give it. Just be obedient to God. And let's watch what God does. And then just this week alone, we've had countless opportunities open up. We've had doors that were closed open up. Your trouble can be an opportunity, but is your honesty evident with God of what you're really going through? Because I feel like until you are honest with God, why would God be honest with you? Because you're not even honest with yourself. Anyways, understand today that they just vomited on Jesus and Jesus kept walking with them. As your lead pastor here, I am your slave. I am here to serve you. I am here to walk with you on the journey. I'm not here to throw you to the side. I'm not here to say, hey, you gotta figure this out or bye-bye. I'm here to walk with you in this journey because I realize that different people are in different areas and there's different expectations for different people. So if I have the same expectations for this person as I do that person that was just saved or just newly walking in the things of God, how is that even fair? Because Jesus doesn't have that with me. The end result is the same, but he understands our weaknesses and he keeps asking for things. 
saying, hey, if it has you, I want it because I want you to have me. And I can't have you if you're just protecting it. So they kept from recognizing them. So as, as your lead pastor and as the leaders of this church, we are here to serve you. If you're leading a team in here, how about you look at it this way, that people aren't here just to serve the, the vision and the, t- the thing and the team that you're doing, but look at the people as saying, God, how can I best serve them? God, how can I best lead them? How can I best be the servant of all, to be the leader of all? I'm not doing it out of my own ambition, the vain ambition to be able to get people to follow me, but I'm actually doing it out of a place of servanthood, knowing that Jesus first saved me. Jesus first served me, so now I'm gonna serve other people. That's what I'm called to do as your lead pastor, but let's keep getting on in this, in this verse 25. Verse 25 says this, he said to them, how foolish you are. I'll walk with you in the journey and I'll be your slave, but be prepared when I say, how foolish you are. <laughs> be okay with it, because I love you. I love you and I'm prepared to have hard conversations with you. I'm saying that if I call you and I say, hey, this is, this is a bad decision or this is a foolish decision, are you still walking the journey with us? Because I'll keep walking with you, I'm committed. I'll keep walking with you. Though they slay me, I'll keep serving them. (laughs) It's a different, taken out of context, but whatever. (laughs) How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to himself, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What is he talking about? He starts with Moses. Well, what's the first encounter Moses has with God? That burning bush moment, that encounter with God that says, I am that I am. I think Jesus was saying, I am that I am, to these people as they were walking along the road. I'm your ever-present help in time of need. I'm with you in the middle of it. And that's where God starts, is he starts saying, hey, I'm here. I'm with you. But then he started talking about all the things in Moses that was concerning Jesus. Now, I don't really know how Jesus said it, if he was just going like, hey, here's all the things that the Bible talks about that are concerning me. I mean, him, uh, because this is what the Bible say about the Messiah, and that I had to die on a cross. I mean, he had to die on a cross. So I don't know what it was like, but I know through Acts chapter 7, it talks about the stoning of Stephen. Stephen actually refers back to Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms of what happened to Jesus. And he says this in uh, Acts chapter 7, 22. It says, Moses was powerful in word and deed. Sounds just like how the men described Jesus. I think Jesus described himself as Moses and used their own vernacular to convince them of who Jesus really was. Acts 7.34, I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I think that Jesus was showing them there's a spiritual oppression that had to be broken. And so he's walking along with him. Hey, the same way Moses went back to set the people free from Egypt, the Son of Man had to be lifted up to be able to set the free, people free from spiritual bondage. Third, Acts 7, 37 and Deuteronomy 18, 15, it says, God will send you a prophet like me from our own people. That's talking about Moses, the prophetic of filling uh, the prophetic uh, word of Moses. And so talking about all these things that correlate, this is the last one, John 3, 14 says this, just as Moses was lifted up, the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus literally goes through it. That's just a few verses of what the prophecy was about Jesus, the Messiah. And get this, they still did not recognize him. Because I could do my best to convince you from your cognitive understanding on everything that Jesus is, but if you are not willing and open to receive what God has for you, you'll never will see him. Even after all of this, they still did not recognize him. They didn't. What is keeping us from recognizing Jesus for who he really is? 
is it this, covering up stuff and trying to hold on to it and not giving it to God to really see him for who he really is? They were still walking to what they knew, to Emmaus, even though Jesus was telling them everything that it was about. The Bible says that their hearts were burning inside as he talked amongst them. Because understand this, that you will only know about God what your eyes are open to see, your mind is ready to believe, and your heart is willing to receive. You will only know about God what your eyes are open to see, what your mind is ready to believe, and your heart is willing to receive. Now, I'm not talking about anything. If it's not in this book, it will not be that. I'm not saying you can make God into anything and everything that you ever want. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, well, you gotta just open up your heart, open up your mind, because you know, Jesus is everything. No, 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 if it doesn't line up with this, and it's not Jesus, my friend, it's not. It absolutely is not. But Jesus is telling them everything that he is, and they still don't see him. So they, in uh, Luke 24, 28, says, as they approached the village, what village was it? Emmaus. To which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost here. So he went in to stay with them. So here they are on their journey with Jesus. Jesus is telling them, hey, this is all I ever am. Their hearts are burning inside on their road, their life, but they're still going back to what is comfortable. They're still going back to what they know. There's a level in us that is unwilling or unable, not ready to give up everything that we want to serve God. Can I tell you that you're in a good place when you tell God to stay with you and you urge him strongly to stay with you and to come into your home and to come into your life and that, hey, I am gonna walk with you I don't want you to pass me by because if you're doing something in my life and you have been doing something in my life, I want you to stay with me. There's something powerful about that. Can I tell you, your relationship with God is not relegated to Sunday mornings. Your relationship with God is not relegated to a prayer that you pray or a song that you sing. It is a lifestyle that you live. That God has so much for you and he wants to walk with you. The Bible says, well, I, I just can't. I just don't know, God. Well, the Bible says, knock and keep on knocking. Keep on knocking. Because he's close. He's been walking with you. But it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because you must come to him and you must believe that he exists and that he's there and he's a rewarder of those. So earnestly seek him. Why would it say earnestly seeking, seek him if it didn't require keep knocking? But I understand today that it was evening. What day was it again? Do you guys remember? The third day, it was Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday, it's probably a pretty important day, right? Most important day in the history of the world. Jesus rose from the grave, rose from the dead, and here we are. You think if Jesus had an, imper uh, an imperative to spread the gospel, he would have started his first day with what, the disciples? You know, I think if you were Jesus' marketing agent, you'd be like, hey, Jesus, wow, this is fantastic. You just rose from the grave. Wow, this is incredible. Hey, this is what we need to do. We need to get all the disciples together. We need to get all 12 of them together. I mean, there's only 11. Okay, that's fine. We can only do 11. Long story. Do I need to go into that? No. Okay, never mind. All right, so we only have 11, Jesus. That's fine. We're going to go get with them. We're going to start a marketing campaign. Jesus, right now you're trending. It literally says, Jesus rose from the dead. It's all over the news. So this is what we need to do. We need to do some photo ops. Hey, you know what? Let's get that guy, Pilate, who sentenced you to death. And let's have like a face-off staring him straight down. And we need to do like hashtag return of the king or something. We need to like make it. We need to make it. Take the moment of this opportunity, Jesus, because you're only going to be here for 40 days. What do we do? How do we do this, God? How do we, how, how do we set up on our mission to, to reach this world? How do we do this, God? But then Jesus says, ah, just wait. I'm gonna spend some time with some other people. 
He spends the whole day with Cleopas and someone we don't even know the name of. But you know what? I know what's important about Cleopas. It's in the Bible. Scholars have debated and they've looked all over, hey, what was so significant about this guy that Jesus would spend his whole first day raising from the dead, walking with him? Well, here it is. Open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 22, verse 22. And here, I have it for you right here. This is it, right here. So th- verse 21, and here's verse 22. There is no verse 22. Because you know what? I think God was trying to make a statement. I said the only thing important about Cleopas was absolutely nothing. But Jesus took the time to walk with him. Jesus took the time to walk with him. It wasn't about what Cleopas was going to bring. It wasn't about what Cleopas was going to do. It was about living a life with someone else. Can I tell you, as a church, we are called to walk with people on their road to purpose. We are called to walk with people on their road. We don't throw them aside. We don't throw them and say, well, you can't serve me. Why do I serve you? But he laid down his life for us. We are called to lay down our lives for other people. I don't think there is anything significant about him. I think Jesus was making a statement. I think he was making a statement that everyone matters. And every conversation you have with someone is impacting them for eternity. I don't think there's anything special about Cleopas. As a church, we're called to walk with people. Don't give up on them. Walk with them. But continue on. I have a burning imperative for all of you right now. This is our Worth Dying For series. Luke 24, 30 says this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open. This whole time they couldn't recognize Jesus. They never saw him for who he was. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. The moment you see Jesus, he's gone. (laughs) They asked each other, oh, that would preach actually. That's actually really good because you follow Jesus and they're like, God, where'd you go? And he said, what I say, son, where'd you go, God? What I say, son, where'd you go, God? What I say, son, keep living it out. So they recognized him, their eyes were open and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road that I was going back to protect my stuff? He was speaking to me the whole time. The whole time I was guarding the things that I didn't want to give up to them. He was speaking to me the whole time. My heart was burning inside how much he loved me, how much he cared for me, but I kept walking away to protect what I didn't know I needed to be set free from. Were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. But they knew he was alive already. Why did it take them seeing something to know that he was alive? Because I think he broke the bread and he handed it to them. And the moment they took it, they saw his pierced hands. And the response that you have to Jesus when you're protecting something, you will stop protecting when you turn and you realize the price that was paid for your freedom. and your eyes will be open that I was worth dying for. 
And if I am worth dying for, that means the people back in Jerusalem that are hiding, the people back in Jerusalem that are sitting in a house are worth risking dying for. So in my natural response to what God has done for me, I'm going to live a life worth dying for. I'm going to go on a mission worth dying for. Can I tell you God's end response to you should always be the same. Are you living on a mission or are you protecting what God wants to set you free from? Your response should be the same. If you seek to find your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it and you will find a purpose far beyond that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. In Jesus' mighty name, come on church, let's worship this. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless.